Hi guys, uh, Pastor Greg Corcoran here from Battlefield Baptist Church. Uh, pray that this sermon is a blessing, an encouragement, and a challenge to you in your walk with the Lord. Additionally, I just wanted to say that if we here at Battlefield can ever be a blessing to you, please don't hesitate to contact us. And the best way to do that is through our website at battlefieldbaptist.org. Again, I pray this sermon blesses you, encourages you, and uh, that you'll fall more in love with God, more in love with His Word, and more in love with people. So good to see each and every one of you this morning. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, as we're going to continue our series on faith for today. And as you're doing that, and the choir's making their way down, I want to remind you, or let those of you know who haven't seen it, in the... Uh, in the coffee cafe area, we have uh, the boxes have arrived uh, for our participation in the Operation Christmas Child Samaritan's Purse. And so I want to encourage you to grab a box, be a part of that. Listen, uh, we want to send 200 boxes out, at least from this church. That's what we've ordered. And so when you grab a box, also grab all, one of the brochures, how to pack the box, and then also the label that goes with it and you'll seal the box with the label it's a it's a sticky and it lets uh lets you decide there determine whether you're packing a box for a boy or a girl ages two to four five to nine or ten to fourteen and so uh thank you so much for your help with that I'm looking forward to what the lord will do through operation christmas child and then as we get to the end of service uh as long as i as long as i remember I'll talk to you about our friend day and our anniversary uh, service coming up on Sunday, November the 19th. Men, I do want to put a quick plug in for uh, the, the gentleman over here that will be leading it, uh, David Jones and Mark Usley. Uh, the BBC Watchman gets underway today at 5 o'clock. BBC Watchman. You don't want to miss this. It's going to be a great time for us as men to gather around the Word of God and fellowship with one another. That's going to be 5 o'clock, okay? And we'll be meeting upstairs in the high school room, okay? So we'll have a time together tonight at 5 o'clock up in the high school room. Well, this morning we're continuing our study and our look at some of the fruit, really, that faith actually produces. We've been looking at faith for today. Yes, faith yesterday is great. Faith for tomorrow is great. We need faith for today, amen? And I don't know if you've been paying attention to what's going on in our world right now, but uh, let me just suggest that we ought to get in the Bible to know what's taking place. And if you just get into the Scriptures, you'll understand what's going on with this incursion into Israel. And uh, literally, uh, God's Word makes it very, very clear what's taking place. And so uh, let's be about the Master's business, amen, while we have the time. And so we've been looking at our study here, and... Some of the fruit that faith produces, and if you notice there in verse 1, we've learned thus far that God's Word has taught us that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. And so we're talking about something that we can have assurance about and something also, <clears throat> excuse me, that we have conviction about. So are you assured? Does faith assure you of something? I hope you could say in the affirmative, yes. It assures me that, guess what, this is not my home. I'm just moving through. I'm just passing through. And I have strong convictions, and faith allows me to do that. I, faith, listen, faith believes what God has 
revealed and faith trusts what God has promised. We've said that over and over. And from Abel's life, Abel's life pointed us to the fact that faith listens to God. That can be difficult in a world that is trying to get you to listen to everything else under the sun. And so Abel says, listen to God. Enoch's life told us that faith actually walks with God. It doesn't run ahead of God. It doesn't lag behind God. It walks with God. And Abraham's life highlighted the fact that faith obeys God. And then uh, Sarah, bless, bless her heart, man. We learned from Sarah that faith actually receives. You remember Sarah, it says, through faith, Sarah also received strength or power to conceive seed. And so we looked at that story a few weeks ago. And then last week we looked at Isaac's faith in the fact that his faith submitted to God's plan. And so this morning, if you will, draw your attention with me to verse number 21. And we're going to see what the Lord has for us very quickly this morning. Look at verse 21. The Bible says, By faith, Jacob, when he was a dying, not when he was dying, but when he was a dying, when he was a dying, says he blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you for the songs that we've been able to sing from hearts filled with joy. Lord, I'm so grateful for what you have done, that because of what you have done, you are our living hope. There is nowhere else that we can look. There is no one to whom we can turn other than thee. And so, Lord, I pray that you will strengthen us, that you will give us courage in these days in which we live to stand for you. And to do so by faith, believing what you have revealed and trusting what you have promised. God, I pray that today that you would draw us close to yourself, where we might find not only forgiveness of our sins, but Lord, that we might uh, hear from you that which we need to hear to be encouraged and strengthened in our journey of faith. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody in our midst, somebody watching online who has never trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior, that today through the preaching of your word and the wooing of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would draw them unto yourself, whereby faith they might receive forgiveness and life everlasting. Lord, we love you. We thank you for what you have done over the past many months here at this church. And Lord, we're looking forward to what you'll do today through the teaching of your word. And we give you the praise, and we do so in the precious and the powerful name of your son, Jesus. And all of God's people said, Amen. Well, look with me again. Verse number 21 says, By faith, Jacob, when he was a dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, notice that word worshipped, and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. Now, I want you to draw your attention to the word worshipped because it comes from the Greek word proskuneo, and it's actually a derivative of two words. And you'll notice on the screen that it literally means to fawn, to crouch, or to, to become prostrate before someone in homage, or to do ever, uh, reverence, or, or show some adoration of some sort, uh, i.e., let me just put it this way, it's talking about worship. And if you take the second part of the word, if you look at worshipped, and you break out the two words, the second word that it comes from literally points us, I know this is going to be vulgar and grotesque, and you're not going to understand it, but it literally points us to the picture of a dog who is kneeling at his master's feet just in obeisance to the master. This is, what, this is what is taking place. 
And so Jacob, it says here, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and he worshipped. He wasn't worshipping his grandsons. He wasn't worshipping his son. He was worshipping God for what God had done through all of his life. And so in other words, worship is the key. In fact, in Genesis 48, we can read the incredible story of how Jacob, when he was about to die, and I'm giving you a little bit of the end at the beginning, when he's about ready to die, he actually blesses both the sons of Joseph and he worships. And at this point in his life, Scripture reveals, if you look at verse 1 of chapter 48, it reveals that Jacob is really sick. He's unsteady. Has anybody ever been sick and felt a little unsteady? You may be feeling sick and unsteady right now. I would suggest to you, in verse number 2, the Bible says this. It says that he strengthened himself. Watch this. When he hears that Joseph is coming in, right? His, his son has come to visit. The Bible says that he strengthened himself and he sat upon the bed. I would imagine that that staff in which he had in his hand became more like, almost like a crutch. That he, he steadied himself. And he got himself in the position and he sat up in his bed. He, in other words, listen, he mustered all the strength that he had to receive these visitors as they came to him. And much like last week's message surrounding Isaac, it's amazing to me that when we consider the totality of Jacob's life, this is what he is known for in Hebrews Hall of Faith. That when he's old, he's about to die, he blesses his grandsons, and he worships leaning upon his staff. This is, this is incredible to me. I mean, what about uh, the story of his wrestling match, right? He had a wrestling match with God, and in Genesis 32, 26, he, he tells God, he says, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. How about that for faith? Why don't we remember that? No, this, that gets passed over, and what we're given here is this story about him blessing his grandsons and worshiping God. Last week, when we looked at the story of Isaac, you remember I said that he submitted to God's will, and, and we see that in his life, Isaac is blessing Jacob, and in that moment, he was naming, remember, he was naming the heir to God's promise, right? And so we're talking about the lineage to which Christ would come. That's not the case here in Jacob's life. In verse number 21, that's not the case. In fact, the focus here, quite honestly, is of an old man worshiping. Where are my old men today? I got one, two guys that raise their hand. Let me just tell you, I, I don't want to burst anybody's old man bubble. But I said this last week, I guess you're not picking up on it. If you're older than me, you classify as the old man in this room. Now, where are my old men, Gary? <laughs> Gary, don't shake your head, right? Where are the old... Thank you, Charlie, <laughs> right? Some of you are not sure if you're older than me. You're trying to figure out. You're like, well, my hair's darker than yours. That don't matter. Just because you use Grecian formula for men doesn't make you young, right? This is a story about an old man worshiping. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 21 that this old man, this guy by the name of Jacob, he worships and he blesses and he does what he does by faith because he believes what God has revealed and he is trusting what God has 
promised. A few weeks ago, when looking at Sarah's story of faith, we said that her fruit, the fruit of her faith, received strength, right? I just mentioned it. It received strength to conceive a seed. Here we find that worship is another fruit of faith. Therefore, we can conclude, watch this, wherever faith is found in God, there's going to be worship. Wherever faith is found in God, there's going to be worship. Now, if you were here on Wednesday night, I was talking about Stephen. And I said over and over on Wednesday night that no faith, no power. No power, no courage. No courage, no boldness to speak or to declare Jesus to the world. The reality is, if you do not have faith in God, you are not going to worship God. But can I just suggest... If you have faith here this morning, can I hear an amen? amen? Then guess what? You're going to be worshiping. And you know that we worship? We worship through our prayer life, through our devotion to his word. We worship him in song. Oh, did you just ask me to sing? Yes, I did. You know, we worship, we, we make a joyful noise in the Lord. You say, brother, you haven't heard my voice. Yes, I have, but it, God still expects to hear it. Right? These many ways that we can worship God. We worship Him through our life. Everything that we have our ton, in the entirety of our being, if we have faith in God, there is going to be worship. Now think back to last week's message. You, re, you may recall that mom comes out, Rebecca, and she tells Jacob, she says, I just heard your father telling your brother to go out and kill and, and, and get him some meat and cook him supper because, you know, your father's driven by his stomach. And so guess what? Go get the kids. And you remember that whole scheme. Well, you also remember the end of the story. He has to flee. He's fleeing from the scene because he's afraid of what his brother Esau is going to do to him. And if we go back to Genesis 28, uh, he follows his father's instructions. In fact in, in fact, in Genesis 28, his father tells him to go into the, over to Pandanaram and to go into the home of his mother's brother Laban, good old Uncle Laban. What a joke. It's almost like Cousin Eddie in Christmas Vacation. He says, go over to Uncle Laban's house. He says, find you a wife over there. Well, Joseph, uh, Jacob wastes no time. He, he, he kisses Rachel before he even gets to Laban's house. If you read the scripture, and then he makes a deal. You know the story. He falls in love, Genesis 29. He falls in love with the younger daughter, Rachel. He makes a deal with Uncle Laban. He says, listen, I'll serve you for seven years. And uh, you give me your daughter. And Laban says, sounds good to me. Seven years is up, and you know Uncle Laban, he pulls that cruel trick. You know what he does? He sends, he sends his oldest daughter. you got the oldest daughter, Leah, and the youngest daughter, Rachel. Joseph thinks, or Jacob thinks he's been working uh, for seven years for Rachel, and he goes into the marriage tent. And, uh, man, I don't know what's going on, but that must have been some kind of a veil that Leah was wearing. <laughs> I don't remember my wife's veil being that thick. But she goes into the tent, right? She goes into the tent. And the next morning, Jacob says, what have you done? He goes back to Laban. And he says, oh, no, not in our country. It's not so. you got to take the oldest first. He said, hey, just work for me another seven years. And so Jacob is deceived. Watch this. Jacob is deceived just as he had previously deceived his father. Watch this, please. This, I believe, is step one 
This is step one in God teaching Jacob to hate his sin by allowing him, watch this, to feel the effects of such a sin. Scripture indicates many times, the reality indicates many times that God deals with us the same way that he, same way that we deal with others. In fact, Psalm 18, 25, the Bible says, with the merciful thou wilt show thyself merciful, and with an upright man thou wilt show thyself upright. With the pure thou wilt show thyself pure, and with the froward thou wilt show thyself froward. Listen, in Jacob's case, the deceiver was deceived. So he got what was coming to him, Right? We are such vengeful people. He got what he had given out. In other words, I put in my notes, he got a taste of his own medicine. And the Lord begins to use this to cultivate a hatred of this sin in his life. Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 in verse 1 and 2, he said these words. He said, judge not that ye be, that ye be not judged. In verse 2, for with what judgment you judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it should be measured to you. If you drop down, you keep reading in this passage in verse number 12. He continues, he says, therefore all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do you even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. The Lord brings Jacob to a point of repentance by repaying him according to his own works. <laughs> what Jacob did to his father, Laban did to him. Congratulations, Jacob. But as you know, the story goes on. That's not the end of the story, so to speak. And Jacob, he worked seven more years for Laban so he could have the hand of Rachel in marriage. Needless to say, this is not one big happy family. Men, can I help you out? One wife is enough. That's biblical, right? You're like, what was going on? Why did God allow this? Listen, I, I'm not God. But you, uh, I, I doubt you'll ask him that question when you see him face to face. But it's not one big happy family. The reality is Leah starts bearing children right and left. And in Genesis chapter 30, you keep on reading the story. And we find out very quickly from the beginning of Genesis chapter 30 that Rachel is barren. And so guess what happens? Now we have the handmaid's war. You say, what's the handmaid's war? Well, Rachel can't have children. So she sends her handmaid, Bilhah, in with her husband to conceive and give Jacob children. And then Leah has a problem having children. So for a while, she sends in her handmaid, Zilpah. So we got Bilhah and Zilpah, and it's, it's a mess. But then, then the Lord blesses. In Genesis chapter 30, at near, near about midway through, the Lord blesses and Rachel finally conceives and gives birth to Joseph. We find that Jacob, as we fast forward in the story, we find that Jacob has an over-the-top, look at Genesis chapter 37. We find that Jacob, he has this over-the-top uh, special love for Joseph because of the special love he has for Rachel. In verse number three, notice what scripture says. It illustrates that Jacob's love for Joseph, it states that he loved Joseph more than all of his children. Wasn't that a problem with his mom and dad? Remember dad loves Esau and mom loves Jacob? We got problems. We have parental problems that are being passed down generationally between these individuals. And so as a result, notice in verse 3, he makes and he actually gives Joseph the infamous coat of many colors. By the way, this causes his brothers to hate him. 
And it doesn't help at all because things get worse because Joseph, he reveals this dream. All these dreams that he's having and God is revealing things to him through his dreams. Uh, And so he goes and and he wants to let his brothers know about these dreams. And the reality is his, his brothers did not like it one bit. And so you fast forward, the brothers are out headed to Shechem. They're out leading and grazing and and tending to the sheep. And dad says, hey, listen, Jacob, I need you to go out and I need you to check on your brothers. And so here comes Jacob. He comes to check on his brothers. And the Bible says that as he was coming, they looked at him and they saw him coming and they started scheming. Sounds kind of familiar. Here we go again. The deceiver is about to be deceived again. And so Joseph, he makes his way and the, the matter progresses very quickly. The brothers go from wanting to kill him to throwing him in a pit to say, hey, why don't we make some money while we're at it and sell him into slavery? They stripped off his coat of many colors and look at Genesis 37 in verse 31. And the Bible tells us that after they had sold him into slavery, the Bible says that they took Joseph's coat, they killed a kid of the goats, and dipped the coat in the blood. So they're setting up their scheme. And then in verse number 32, notice God's word says that they bring this coat to their father Jacob and said, This have we found, liars. This have we found. Do you see what's going on? History is repeating itself. Folks, we need not to repeat history. We need to follow what thus saith the word of God. Notice, it says, right here, it says, they set the coat of colors, and then in verse 32, it says, this we have found. And they ask their dad, they say, know now whether it be thy son's coat or not? Hey, daddy, do you know, is this this that coat? You jokers know daggone well it's a coat. You've been seeing that coat, you've been hating that coat for years. Why are you going to pretend and play this game? And so they come to their father. They say, do you know if this is a coat? And so you see again, Jacob had deceived Laban, had been deceived, deceived by Laban, and now he's being deceived by his sons. And this time it's the most painful deception of all. Look at verse 33. Jacob said, it is my son's coat. Yeah, they already knew that, Dad. It is my son's coat. An evil beast has devoured him. Joseph is without a doubt rent into pieces. Verse 34, it continues. It reveals that he immediately tears his clothes. He covers himself in sackcloth. And he mourns for his son, the Bible says, many days. And what's interesting to me, look at verse 35. Because in verse 35, it says that all of his sons and his daughters rose up to comfort him. What a bunch of jokers. These guys who come home to scheme to deceive their father, they see that he is weeping and that he is, he, is, he is destroyed emotionally about his younger son's death. And they let him believe the lie. And then verse 35 says that not only the boys, but the girls, they get in on the action. And they all surround dad as if they're a bunch of goodwill workers. And they're going conf- to comfort dad. And he said, watch it, he says, but he refused To be comforted, verse 35. And he said, for I will go down into my grave unto my son mourning. Again, the boys knew what they had done. But instead of coming clean, watch this. They allowed, they allowed their father to live the lie. They let their dad believe the lie. 
You say, well, they really didn't say, no, they, they put it. They planted the seed of the lie and they didn't correct it. They didn't confess. They didn't do anything to change their dad's mind. This was their entire scheme to get him to believe that his youngest son was dead. And so the, Jacob was adamant. He tells him, I'm going to go to my grave in misery. He says, I don't have anything else worth living. Have you ever felt like that? There's nothing else worth living for. I'm just going to go to my grave weeping. <laughs> and yet God is still on his throne. And Jake and Joseph is still alive in Egypt. As you fast forward, by the time we get over to Genesis chapter 41, Joseph, who was sold into slavery, was put into prison for being falsely accused of something he didn't do. He spends time in prison. He's let out and he's come before Pharaoh. You get to Genesis chapter 41 and Pharaoh gives him huge responsibilities. And scripture, by the way, scripture tells us over and over that the Lord was with him. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with him. I, that's great, but you need to understand that Joseph was still a prisoner. He had no ability to leave. And you say, well, where do you get that? Well, at the end of the story, I'll let you read it for yourself. You need to take time to read the entirety of the story. But at the end of the story, when his father dies, he has to ask for permission to go and bury his father. So you say, well, he was, he was second in charge. He did all He's a slave working for Pharaoh, and he still had to ask permission to go bury his father. And you can read that in Scripture. And so we have to understand what's going on. And as a result, Joseph is given this power, right? And Pharaoh has these dreams. And Joseph says, hey, listen, I'm not able to give you an answer of peace, but God will give you an answer of peace. And then he interprets the dream. And he says, hey, guess what? A famine's coming, and it's already begun. And so we're going to have seven years of plenty, and then we're going to have seven years of famine. And so during the seven years of plenty, we better stockpile all the grain we can because there's going to be seven years in which no grain grows and we're going to be hurting. And so we've got to make haste now while we have the time. There's so much more to this story. And I encourage you, if you've never read the story, you need to read this story. It's an amazing story of how God works. But at any rate, if you move on, there's no grain, there's no food in Canaan. The famine is, they're in the year number two right now of this famine. And, uh, and so Jacob says, hey boys, you need to go on over to Egypt and inquire about getting some grain. And so he sends his sons over in Genesis 42. And in Genesis 42, they come. Jacob sends them to Egypt. And they, by the way, they have no idea that Joseph, their brother, who they sold into slavery, is now in charge of doling out all the grain and selling the grain or giving the grain out. And so they come. And after some back and forth, Joseph plays around with them a little while, sends them back and forth. Joseph, you see in chapter 45, he reveals his identity, and the brothers are terrified. And then Joseph says, hey, he says, go bring my father Jacob, bring all the family, and bring all the flocks back here to Egypt. He says, I want to see my dad, and I'll take care of you. The brothers, somewhat confused, but they return to their father. Look with me in Genesis 45 and verse 26. They return to their father. And the Bible says that they told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. He's like, you guys got to be kidding me. Remember, he had been living with the lie for years and years and years now. The boys had led him to believe this thing. By the way, it was now time to confess. The ruse was over. 
Reuben, Levi, Gad, the roost is over. It's time to confess. And I just put in my notes this, just as a reminder to us, be sure your sin will find you out. They had thought they had gotten away with it for years. <laughs> and then all of a sudden they show up in Egypt and there's Joseph. And they got to go back and they're telling, they're telling dad what's going on. They're like, you're not going to believe it. Joseph's alive. Look at verse 26 again. It says, Joseph is alive and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. He's in charge. Look at verse 27. It tells us, and they told him all the words of Joseph uh, which he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel, which he's now known as, is, it is, he says, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. Watch what he says. I will go and see him before I die. How sad. For a moment, he gets excited that his boy's alive. And then he says, I'm about to die. I'll go see him right before I die. And if you flip over one page to Genesis 46... We read that Joseph, in verse 29 and 30, the Bible says, Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, to Goshen, and presented himself unto him, and he fell on his neck, Joseph did, and he wept on his neck a good while. Can you imagine? Joseph comes to Jacob, and he sees him, and he gets off of his chariot. Remember, yes, he's a slave. He's still pretty important in Egypt. And he runs to his father, and he kisses him, and he weeps on his neck, and he's holding his father, this impassioned embrace with his father. And then look at verse 30. And Israel said unto Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen thy face, because thou art yet alive. What do you mean, no high, son? No, it's good to see you? I've missed you. I've wept sore for you years and years. The first thing out of his mouth that we know of is, now let me die. Good to see you too, Dad. Jacob thought he was about to die. But if you know the rest of the story, you also know that our God, who is rich in mercy, gives Jacob another 17 years. Another 17 years in Egypt. And the reality is that Jacob goes from having one attitude when he arrives into Egypt to having a very different attitude when he's about to die. In fact, I put in here, in his final years of Jacob's life, it brought about a greater change in his life. And you say, well, how do you know that? Because he gives us himself two descriptions of how he is. In fact, when he arrives in Egypt, look at uh, Genesis 47. When he arrives in Egypt, Pharaoh actually comes out and he asks Jacob. He says, uh, how old are you? You look to be a little uh, seasoned. He says, how old are you? And notice in, 40, in Genesis 47, 9, Jacob says, the days of the years of my pilgrims are 130 years. Few and evil have the days of the years of my life been and have not attained unto the days of the years of like my father's and the days of their pilgrimage. So when Jacob arrives in Egypt, he's full of regret, and, and Pharaoh says, hey, how old are you? He says, hey, listen, I'm 130 years old, but that's not much compared to my dad and my grandpa. And to be honest, the years of my life have been few, and they've been evil. That's how old I am, Pharaoh. Wow. Where was the man who would not let go of God until he would bless him? What happened to the man? What happened to the man who's wrestled with God and said, no, I'm not going to let go of you until you bless him? 
till you bless me. Where's the worshipful attitude that we read about in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 21? It's not here. And I just put in my notes, maybe you're here, maybe you're watching online and you find yourself feeling this moment, in this day, in this moment full of regret. Maybe like Jacob, you feel like the days of your lives have been few and maybe the days of your lives have been evil. Can I remind you, this is not the end of Jacob's story and this is not the end of yours. Hello? Everybody do a check for me. Put your hand in front of your face. And breathe. It's not the end of your story. You may be going through it right now. But Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 21 teaches us that Jacob, when he was an old man, when he was about to die, the Bible says, that he worshipped. And remember I said earlier, where there is faith, worship will surely follow. And so the Lord gives Jacob 17 more years. And look over here in chapter 48. He gives him 17 more years in Egypt. And at the end, when he gets ready to bless his grandsons, he gives a very different account of his life. Remember, Pharaoh says, hey, how old are you? He says, I'm 130. That's not much compared to my dad, my grandpa. And my days of my life have been few and have been evil. Now when we get over here to Genesis 40. Uh, 48, look at verse 15 and 16. Drop down. And the Bible says that Jacob states, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God, watch what he says about God, which fed me all my life long. That's a very different summation than what he had with Pharaoh, isn't it? He tells Pharaoh the days of his life are few, they're evil, and now he's ready to bless his grandsons, there with Joseph, and he says, listen, he says, the God which fed me all of my life long unto this day, verse 16, the angel which redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, and let my name be named on them, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them go down into the multitude in the midst of the earth. Jacob, who had told Pharaoh 17 years ago that his life, the days of his life had been few and evil, he now looks back, watch, he now looks back on the same life, the same exact life. He looks back and he sees the fact that it was God who was the one who fed him. It was God who had redeemed him. In other words, evil in his life had been defeated and Jacob is worshiping God. Listen, if your faith meter is running low today, this story is a reminder to you. If you are living with regret, if you are living uh, with anger, regret, or anything else, this story serves as a reminder for you as well. Because Jacob journeys, watch this, from a life who believes his days were few and full of evil to a life to where he blesses his grandsons and he's worshiping God right as he's about to die. And the way he does this is the same way that you and I do it. We do it by faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So let me give you a couple takeaways and we close. Faith worships because, because of forgiveness. We are here today, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, we worship. Where there's faith, there's going to be worship. And the reason there's worship is because we have been forgiven. Jacob, verse 21 of our text, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning upon his staff. He never, never would have forgotten his own sin. Has anybody here ever forgotten your own sin? 
We were talking about that last week in Sunday school. We're not really programmed to forget our own sin. And so Jacob would have remembered how he schemed. He would have remembered those times in his life, but he would have also remembered how good old Uncle Laban would have schemed against him. He would have remembered how his boys deceived him. In fact, his entire life had been shaped by the similarities of his own sin. And yet God was faithful, he says, to feed him and to redeem him from all evil. And I just put this, and I said it in Sunday school a little bit. Be sure. It seems like when we get older, the older we get, the older we get, our sins have a way of catching up with us. The older we get, our sins have a way of catching up with us. But Scripture tells us that at the end of Jacob's life, he worshiped. And folks, the only way that you and I or anybody is going to be able to worship, a person who is full of regret, of full of regret is going to worship, is to be a person who fully knows and understands that by faith in Jesus Christ we have been forgiven. And when we realize that we have been forgiven, worship ought to follow. It ought to follow more than probably what we do. Jacob was able to worship because he knew without a doubt that he had been forgiven, cleansed, and restored by God. He understood that because of God's grace and mercy, he had been forgiven. Can I say just humbly that God still offers forgiveness today? God still offers forgiveness today. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, it says that if we confess, now watch, there's something for us to do. If we confess our sins that's the hard part. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, we must draw near to God in repentance. That's a word for whatever reason that people just love to hate. But really, all it means is I'm walking this way and in repentance I see that this is not right and I say, guess what? I'm going to turn and I'm going to do it God's way. That's all that it means. It says, listen, I'm going to get rid of this out of my life. And through faith, I'm going to trust Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith, the one who died for me to forgive me. I'm going to trust that he is real and that he can do what he says he can do. That's what it's all about. In fact, the Bible teaches us in Mark chapter 2 and verse 17, Jesus said these words. He says, they that are whole have no need of a physician. Listen, we have a place of worship here because everyone in this room needs a physician. Everyone in this room, can I just lovingly say, we're all a bunch of sick people. Did you just call me sick? Yeah, we're all sick. Me, myself, and I, and all of us. He says, listen, Jesus said, they that are whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, I came to call sinners to repentance. You can play church all you want, or you can walk in faith and follow Christ. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus also said likewise, in verse number 7, likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repents. 2 Corinthians 7.10 states, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. We know this verse, but he is long-suffering, and he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is on his throne. He's still offering forgiveness today. And faith worships because of forgiveness. And we can worship too. Believers 
I put here in my notes, the guilt of sin lifted and carried away, carried away the sin by our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And cleansing actually comes as we draw near to God in repentance and confess. Without that, we tend to live like Jacob was living in the land of regret. Let me just say for believers, nothing hinders worship more. Nothing hinder, if you're a believer here, nothing hinders worship more than a conscience that has not been cleansed. If you're here today and you say, man, I, 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 need, to, I, need, to, I need to take a hold of 1 John 1.9. Look at it again. Guys, if you'll put it up again, there you go. If we confess, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Oh, yes, the instruction seems to be so simple it actually seems so simple that it can be difficult to believe at times. Uh, Pastor, are you telling me that Jesus, that, that God's word tells me that if I confess my sins to him, he's faithful and he's just and he's going to forgive me and he's going to cleanse me of all? That's exactly what I'm telling you. That's what his word says. And faith believes what God has revealed and faith trusts what God has promised. So number one, faith worships because it believes or because of forgiveness, and number two, faith worships because it believes God's promises. You see, Joseph's sons, they had all they could ever want or need materialistically in Egypt. That's the truth. But here we find Grandpa blessing them with something more valuable than all the treasures of Egypt. He's blessing them with the promise of God. Look at chapter 48 again. Chapter 48. As I stated at the beginning, Jacob is sick, he's unsteady. And so Joseph takes his two boys, Ephraim and Manasseh, they take him to Grandpa to see Grandpa. Essentially, they're going to see Grandpa one last time. And so they make their way, and look in verse number 5. In verse number 5, Jacob says to Joseph, And now thy two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, which were born unto thee in the land of Egypt before I came unto thee in Egypt. Watch what he says. He says, They are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. In this moment, Jacob is essentially adopting his grandsons as his own children, which meant they would become, watch it, heads of their own tribes as if they were Jacob's sons. And in the adoption, he is essentially giving them a direct share of the promise of God. Got huge things going on, you guys. You need to read this story. It's amazing. Generations later, when God's people entered the promised land, if you look at a map of that, and I thought about putting it up, it was divided into 12 regions, one for each of the 12 tribes. If you look off the map, you'll notice a couple of things that stand out. Number one is that there's no land given to the sons of Levi. They were called to serve, a uh, 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 special calling to serve the tribes by leading people in worship. And then you'll also notice that Joseph, the firstborn of Rachel, he receives a double portion, not because of him, but because of his boys. Because of this moment back when Jacob, he says, come here, Ephraim, come here, Manasseh. And he blesses them and he says, they are mine. He's saying they are now just as one of my sons and they will receive the promise of God. So instead of giving one portion of land to all the descendants of Joseph, Land was given to the children of Ephraim and Manasseh <laughs> as if they were his own sons. There's another beautiful picture of adoption when it comes to Scripture. 
The moment that Jacob adopted Joseph's sons, they became direct sharers in the promise of God. It's, it was as if Grandpa was telling his, boy, his grandson's boys, you may have all kind of stuff here in Egypt. You may have it all here. You may, you may have grain. You may have a, a roof over your head. You may have all of these things in Egypt, but this is not where you belong. Could I just say, if you're a follower of Christ, Northern Virginia is not where you belong. I know Virginia's for lovers, but guess what? This is not our home. We're just passing through. And you see the picture here? Jacob is saying, hey, you might have all that you think you need, but there's something better. This is not your home. And so I'm adopting you in this moment as if you're mine. And because of this adoption, you now have a direct share in the promise of God. You belong to the people of God. And as such, you are now heirs. Is what Grandpa's saying. You are now heirs of this promise. And just as Jacob gave his grandsons a direct share in the promise of God, Jesus has done the exact same thing for you and for me. Because if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a fellow heir. You're a joint heir with Jesus, right? And we're headed to a different land. Oh, listen, partakers of God's promises in and through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the blessing that you and I have in Jesus. And like Ephraim and Manasseh and all those who have gone on before us, we live in this world, but this world is not our home. In fact, 1 Peter 1 and verse number 4 and 5 states that in Christ we have an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled, that fadeth not away. It's reserved in heaven for you. But look at verse number 5. It says, that we are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Listen, faith worships because faith believes God's promise. Remember, faith believes what God has revealed and faith trusts what God has promised. This is the story of Jacob's life. When it was all said and done, when the rubber met the road, he is remembered for this one moment when he, as he is a dying, as scripture says, he blessed his grandsons and he says, you're my own. This, you're passing through and you now are going to have a direct share in the promised land. Can I tell you, when Jesus died on the cross and became our savior, if you're in Christ, you have a direct share of heading to the promised land one day. Oh, there's a mansion that's reserved for you. That's what Jesus said. He said, in my father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Listen, we're heading home. It just takes some of us longer than others to get there. Hey, I'm, hey, I'm okay with that too. Because you know what anticipation does? Man, the older I get, the more... I start anticipating that, that heavenly home. Anybody feeling what I'm saying? As you get older and you start to see the way things are waxing worse down here, you start getting a little antsy. You start wanting to be home with the Lord more and more, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Listen, I'm not trying to rush the Lord's hand or anything, but man, I sure am looking forward to it. And I pray you are too. Like Jacob... <laughs> who arrived in Egypt full of regret, he ended up worshiping God. And by faith, you and I can do the same thing. Let's pray. Father, we love you.
We praise you for your goodness to us, God. I pray that you'll strengthen us in the days ahead. God, I pray that if there's somebody, as I prayed at the beginning, that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, that today that you have made it abundantly clear that you love them and that you sent Jesus, your Son, to die on the cross for their sin and that by faith they can call out upon the name of the Lord. And they can not only receive forgiveness of sin, they can receive life everlasting. And so, Lord, I pray that you will have your will in your way during this time of invitation. Lord, help us to understand, no matter where we're at, whether we find ourselves living a life right now where we, we kind of see ourselves and our lives as our days as being few and, and evil, God, I pray that you would break our hearts and remind us that you are the one who feeds us, you are the one who leads us, you are the one who redeems us. God, that we might have a heart of worship. God, I pray that you will receive the honor and the glory through this time of invitation. And we'll give you the praise in advance for it all in Jesus' name.